0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world.
1: And welcome everybody. It is fabulous to be here at Bell's Hotel and good on you for wearing a touch of pink. This is episode 216. Where did the years go, Corrie Perkin? Lovely to see you.
2: Great to see you. Hello, potties!
1: (laughs) First of all, a big thank you for supporting our Breast Cancer Network of Australia Mother's Day fundraiser event. Welcome to our special guests. We'll introduce them properly in a moment. But in total, Heather Hewitt, Barry Cassidy, Julia Wilson and Anna Barry.
2: I would like to thank the gang from uh, Bells Hotel for having us again. December 2019 was our last gathering here. What happened to those two years? I don't know. Um, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Yalaka Wulung uh, community, the clan of the Boon people who of course are part of the great Kulin nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging we thank them for um, all of their uh, custodianship of this beautiful land and their continuing relationship with this land on which we gather. We hope it continues for many, 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 many centuries to come. Um, Caro, it is so great to have everybody here wearing pink, um, us, Barry. Got pink lipstick
3: on. <laughs> pink lipstick. I didn't get the memo. <laughs>
1: Barry Barry missed the memo because Heather Heather (laughs) forgot to tell him and Heather's wearing pink lipstick. I do want to thank our wonderful sponsors, Red Energy, most satisfied customers. How many years in a row, Corrie?
2: 27 years in a row. I don't know, 13, 12, what are we up to?
1: And thank you, Anna, Kim, Nadia and Lisa from Red Energy who are here tonight. We want to welcome the wonderful Miles from Prince Wine Store, bringing you the greatest wines in the world. Miles Thompson will be with us at intermission to give us some wonderful recommendations for the cocktail. Cabinet, our favourite place in the world at the moment. Um, thank you also to the wonderful Gina Ferguson, who's been taking photographs all night, and a special welcome, sorry Corrie, I'm stealing your thunder here, to Kirsten Pilati, CEO of Breast Cancer Network Australia. <clears throat> now, to our special guests who have just, it was such a thrill to have you both here tonight, Heather Hewitt. The presenter of ABC TV's Backroads, now in its seventh season. Heather has worked as a national affairs correspondent for the 7.30 report, specialising in coverage of federal issues, a winner of the Gold Quill Award in 2007. Heather's covered federal politics has had a range of roles across the ABC TV and radio over several years, and has also been a foreign correspondent in London, Washington and Brussels. It was in Europe in a bar one night when she and her beautiful husband Barry started talking about an idea for a political show and maybe a sports show, I can't remember the order, called The Offsiders and The Insiders. Um, I've been lucky enough to work on The Offsiders now for 17 years. It is just extraordinary what a great success story that is. We all miss Barry on The Insiders. You all know Barry Cassidy, one of Australia's most respected political journalists, press secretary to Bob Hawke back in the 1980s. As I said earlier, much respected and long-running host of both the Offsiders and the Insiders. The Insiders he hosted from 2001 until 2019. He's happy that he missed COVID, but don't we miss him there now. In 2020, he became host of the long-film interview program one-on-one on one, and they have very kindly given us their time tonight to talk about all manner of things but I suspect the federal election will be one of them. Big round of applause. <laughs> Corey, you can kick us off.
2: Okay, I'll kick you off. Um, thanks guys for coming along. We are very interested in this, uh, how you've transitioned into life without politics uh, it's it's a curi- it must be a curious time for you two sitting on the sidelines watching it. Have you dodged a bullet? Are you happy, or are you missing it? Are you a bit twitchy?
4: Well, first of all, I, I know that you've had some great guests over the years, so I'm just so pleased to be on episode 216. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh,
4: um, Heather's been
0: on before. <laughs> yes,
3: <laughs> I've yes, been I on that. I yes.
4: Um, <laughs> look, I'm enjoying this election campaign more than I've, I've, I've covered 17 of them. Um, this is my favourite up until now, because I finally get to decide what I do in election campaigns. I can cherry pick what I do, and all of the discipline of working with the ABC, and it's, it's a reasonable discipline and it ought to be in place, but that's no longer there, and so I can speak a little more honestly about things that I really feel passionately about, um, so I'm finding the transition quite enjoyable to this point.
2: So, Heather, you, you've been out of politics for a while and um, back roading around the country, and it, it, um, it, it prompted me to think about uh, comparing the Donald Trump election of 2016 when middle America was telling anybody who wanted to listen that it was time for a change, but the journalists on the East Coast and the, and the West Coast were not necessarily in
3: tune with that, and lo and behold, look what happened. Are you picking
2: up a vibe out there in rural
3: Australia? I think it would be hard to not pick a vibe out there, not in rural Australia, but everywhere, really. Um, But certainly, um, in rural Australia, I I think they've been sick of things for a long, long time. Um, They haven't known who to trust, they haven't known who's gonna give them funding for different things, and in the end, they've thought, let's just go it alone. So they've just been, been building their own stuff and doing their own thing, but incredibly frustrated, I think, with the nature of politics. Um, I'm not totally sure how far that translates everywhere else, but I, th- I think certainly in rural Australia and in seats where there are independents standing, um, I-, I think it's something to watch very closely. So,
1: I mean, we're sitting here in Melbourne, in South Melbourne, <laughs> we're not a long way from Ku Yong, Barry. I mean, Kuyong Yong has just obviously fascinated all of us. Um, one of the best known Teal candidates, and this sort of, well, a family feud, I suppose, has emerged in the last few weeks, or two family feuds, really, if you listen to Josh Frydenberg. How do you read Kuyong and how does that reflect the more important, as you say, the most enjoyable election you can remember? Yeah, I, I
4: think... Campaign. Before I talk about it, you, you, you've got to appreciate what happened here and why suddenly this is an election about independence as much as it is about anything else. That the Liberal Party was going to the right, um, and the administrators within the Liberal Party wanted that to happen. You've got that comment from uh, Tina McSween not so long ago, Vice President of the Liberal Party, who said that if Katie Allen and uh, um, Trent women lost their seats, that would be no bad thing, because then the right can, can, can solidify their position and she dismissed them as a couple of lefties. They wouldn't be missed. And it that, was that kind of attitude that people were picking up that, um, that the Liberal Party had got a little bit um, comfortable in their position and so they thought that they could move to the right because that's, I think, largely what the membership wants. And after Malcolm Turnbull, a lot of moderates left and those who were left went silent. And they went silent on things like climate change and integrity in government and so on. And so that's why they've targeted those particular seats. They've targeted the moderates. And people say, why pick on the moderates? That's pretty much it, because the moderates let them down. Um, they went silent. And the remarkable thing about it is that almost all of those teal seats, as they call them, are women. And they're professional, sophisticated women who are offering a real alternative. And that's the first thing you must do in any political contest, is to, to present a real alternative. So it's suddenly a very serious matter for the Liberal Party. I suspect that there are five independents in the Parliament now. I wouldn't be surprised if there are ten or more after the election. Um, they're certainly competitive in three seats in New South Wales. And New South Wales, is, it, it's gone overboard because of what Scott Morrison did when he insisted on choosing his own candidates in ten seats, which they saw as him... Wanting to create a Liberal Party in his own image, and he cut the rank and file out, which suddenly made three seats Wentworth, North Sydney, and McKellar, very competitive for the independents, and in Victoria, Goldstein and um, and Kuyong are certainly competitive. Nichols and, and Nichols for, for different reasons. Nichols around Shepparton... and. Uh, Achuka Seymour. Near
3: it, where I grew
4: up. Yeah. Is, is also, I think, one that will, will fall <clears> to it, to the independent. So there are a lot of seats in play. Curtin in Western Australia is another one. Really watch that one. It's Fred Chaney's niece. And it's Julie Bishop's old seat. And I think that could go to an independent. So
2: And
4: Brisbane, I've heard. Brisbane could be... Yeah, I, 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 that's only come to between. my attention fairly recently. Look, there, there are seats that are going to surprise us, I think, on the night. But there are five or six that are really competitive. I'm not predicting any of them. I think although I think Goldstein will, um, will, will fall to an independent. Um, less persuaded about Kuyong, but boy, yeah. I, I would have thought two weeks ago, no chance. Yeah. I don't think that anymore. Um, I ran into a... Um, I shouldn't name this guy, but he's a very senior economist at the ABC who lives in Kuyong. <laughs> Bumped into him the other day, and uh, he said, you know um, Frydenberg's going to lose. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, everybody I talk to tells me that they're, bat- they're voting for Monique Ryan. Well, see, that's anecdotal, but it's interesting. I mean, well, if you keep I was, I hearing in, that... Um, I
2: was in uh, uh, Glenfury Road, Hawthorne, today, and um, it, it, the Monique Ryan presence is vast. It's, it's everywhere. And uh, her, the colour teal is everywhere. Her yeah. volunteer army is amazing. But what's mm-hmm. interesting about Glenfury Road, Barry and Heather, is that... Um, and, and it could be a lot of the shopping centres and a lot of the shopping strips that we all know and love. Every third or fourth shop is for lease and that suggests, you know, tough economic times, people coming out of, you know, the retail yep. industry has been decimated, as we know, and people coming, you know, they've had tough times. This is t- entirely representative of this electorate. Um, mm. yeah, they, would you? I mean, they say, that, they say this every mm. election, it feels like, this is the most important election in 20 years, but how would you kind of sum up what's happening at
3: the moment? Well, of course it's the most important election in 20 years. I, I feel, to me, like it, we, we've been in slow-mo, Like, where have we gone? What have we done? Like, you know... What, the last 20 years? Yes.
2: Wasted opportunities. Yes. And and leaders fighting.
3: Yes, constantly. um, Obsessed about politics. Have they really thought about us? About us, rather. I'm not so sure. Um, And, yeah, I I just... I I have felt incredibly disappointed about where it's gone. Um, And I, I think wherever you go, you get the same sort of feedback. You know, people are saying this. This is such a long election campaign because they've already made up their minds. They've had a, had a full, I think. I, you, I'm not sure if did everybody exactly. I I mean, where did you
1: stand on first of all Rob Bailey's column in the Age, and then Josh Friedenberg quoting Monique Ryan's mother-in-law?
3: Do you know what I thought? Good on Rob Bailey because I felt his father uh, would would have accepted what he'd done, oh, and, and he I, did. yes. Mm-hmm. and And it was suddenly turned into this big thing, but but they're they're an interesting family, the Bailews. Um You know, I've known them all for a long time, um, Ted as premier, but but you know other family members. I, I think they're they're a quirky lot they, they, they're accepting. They weren't going to bother about you know Ted's son doing what he was doing. That was kind of like open slather, you know, fair enough. Um, Ted copped what he did with his own mother-in-law. Um, I didn't notice you know, that there was that much blowback from that. He actually sort of said at the time, oh well you know, that's how it goes.
2: And um, Barry, you mentioned Fred Cheney you know, those, those of us who go back <coughs> a fair way, we can remember this, the wonderful smaller liberals of Ian McPhee and Fred Cheney and Mm. um, those important contributors to the party, and it was interesting to hear him talking about how proud he is of his niece the other day that when she first came to him with Mm. this idea, he said, don't go into politics, it's tough on women, it's hard Uh, you won't be embraced by one of the major parties, you know, don't do it but she's won him over with the power of her conviction which conviction politics, you know there's not a lot of.
4: I've got a great deal of time for Fred Cheney he was one of the most passionate Indigenous yep. Affairs ministers, and that portfolio has eaten up a lot of people, but boy, he gave it his best shot. Um, and he was one of those moderate Liberals when they mattered, when they actually had some influence in the party. But what he said about, um, about the Liberal Party is that it's lost its way, and he said it's lost its way on climate change, but the other thing that he said is that they've lost their way on a vision, and that they, now it's day to day politics. Mm. And that's fair criticism. It's also, I think, criticism you can level at every government. Well, certainly Kevin Rudd was the one who turned the whole political process into that day, the moment. You had to win every day. And once you have to win every day, then politics takes over from policy. I think Gillard lifted it a bit because she got to be done, at least, even with a hung parliament, which was interesting. She got more legislation through than the previous three years before and the previous three years after. And the last three years, if you want to compare them in that way. So... Look, Fred Cheney's intervention was really interesting, but we, we just had a few days in uh, in the seat of Curtin in WA, and mm. the same momentum is going on there. Yeah. Uh, came out of a clear blue sky, but she <laughs> um, she's got a really good chance of winning Curtin. Again, it's the same. It's it's it, it's a it's a female professional, um, smart. The, the same sort of stereotype that you're getting here in Victoria.
3: Yeah. I just want to add one thing, just briefly. Yes. Um, is that when when we started in politics, or when I did, I'm a bit younger than Baza. Um
2: <clears throat> A lot younger.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it was there was a, a more of a bipartisan approach. Like immigration policy was bipartisan. Speaking of Ian McPhee and and characters like that, Fred Cheney. Um, There was a lot more stuff bipartisan. And I I feel like it's easy to say, you know, things were different in our day. But it it was more generous, I think, and more decent. Um, And I wish wish we had that back a little bit. Maybe
2: a hung parliament will bring this to the fore. I mean, Laura Tingle and Philip Adams had an interesting discussion about this the other night. Is it such a bad thing? When you look at how much legislation and action occurred under Julia Gillard's watch... Mm-hmm. She had a most difficult time, but they all had to, all of the ministers had to get out of their yep. office and go and talk to the opposition and find yeah. a cohesive...
4: It, um, it actually cost Tony Windsor and Rob Oakshot <laughs> their jobs because they were too cooperative um, and they were in conservative seats and so they were thrown out. Um, but in fact, it it worked while they were there. Mm. Um, now it's, it's a bit different um, and it's going to be it's going to be hard for them, but this suggestion that if it is a hung parliament that is some way chaotic, what, more chaotic than what we've seen over yeah. the last 10 years? Yeah. The, the, 20 years, the great really. The value of the independence having the balance of power is that it, it stops the excesses on, on either side and it forces them to, to talk to them about issues like climate change and it'll force them to introduce a, a National Integrity Commission. Um, and if, say, if Labor is in minority government, and it's not the Liberals. What they will do with Labor is give them a spine on climate change, but they don't trust them on climate change. And I think without the independents, I'm, I'm not I'm, – why aren't they talking about climate change? Why are they not wanting to make it a central issue yeah. if they're so big on it? And you know why? Because they run their seat-to-seat strategy. They think, oh, well, if we talk about it here, we'll lose seats there, so let's just Ease our way into office and not talk about climate change. Well, if they get there without the independents, I don't trust them. I think the independents would give them the spine. I think the same thing applies to things like, are you going to increase new start? No, they say. Well, the independents will get in and they'll say, well, maybe you better think about that again, right? There, there are issues like that mm. where I think the independents can really add value to the whole system.
1: So where do you I'm, see it going, Barry? And I'll
4: ask... Um, look, basically... There were three phases through the last three years, and campaigns aren't as important as people think they are. It's about people vote on the performances over the last three years. The first two and a half years, Scott Morrison lost his way through mismanaging crises. The Don't Hold the Hose thing then morphed into this feeling of not accepting responsibility. He, I think, blew the whole... Respect for women's thing, he didn't do enough around that, and half-hearted on climate change. Right? That's that's why he got himself in the position where he is. They then the second the last three months between April and uh, between February and April was their time to reset. That was their chance to get back in the game before the election was called. Parliament turns up in February and they spend the whole time talking about religious freedom when the party wanted them to talk about the economy. So they blew that. Then the budget comes along. And because Morrison was interfering in the party affairs, upsetting all the rank and file, then Senator ferramanti Wells blew the budget out of the water. So they go on an election campaign, no reset, no recovery, and having to do it all in an election campaign. Well, good luck. Too and, late. And, 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 Just and, too late.
2: Before we ask you, Heather, um, your view of this, I wonder, um, the Anthony Albanese COVID week possibly provided them actually with a bit of a reset, Labor. Um, they were able to get their... Um, front bench out there and Albanese was able to kind of gather himself again and do you think that sort of bizarrely worked in his favour?
4: Well they got to unveil Jason Clare Yeah. Um, but look Jim Chalmers is a really good performer and he got more space as a result of that Um, Albanese is, look you have to have some confidence that the opposition will be a viable alternative and that's up to Albanese to provide that. He stumbled on day one and that's why they're still throwing gotcha questions at him every day because if he gets one more, today's didn't really matter. It was just an unreasonable gotcha question. Yeah. Not that there's a reasonable one, but um, if he trips up on something that really matters between now and then, that's that might have a bit of an impact. Um, so it's not over yet um, because you never know what might happen in the, in the, in the closing weeks, but I think Albanese has done enough um, to present himself as a viable alternative, given the weight of evidence yeah. against the government on the other side.
3: Heather, what about you? What do you think is going to happen? Um, I, I, I want to say briefly what I think has totally failed for me, um, and I think for many Australians, especially in rural Australia, is the lack of discussion on on the land, generally um, climate change. Um, you know, the days... When I grew up, I used to get teased at school about my father planting trees on the farm, you know, to try and, you know, improve things. Um, those days are gone, and I, th- I think there's a, there's a real um, underestimation of the number of farmers out there who, who really want something done to address climate change. Well,
2: they're, and they're desperate, too. Yeah, right?
3: totally desperate. They can't
2: have another um, flood. They can't have no, another drought.
3: No, no, they've had a gulf fall. They've had fires, flood... Um, I would love to see a government that finally addresses this. This uh, I don't think it's been uh, tackled nearly enough in this election. Having said that, um, I think there will be a price paid for this. Um, yeah, like that, yeah.
4: The comment that I heard on the ABC <laughs> the other day, all the ABC, the reporter it said... It was my turn, Bazaar. Yes, I know. But anyway... That climate change was a battle between Queensland on the one hand and inner city seats on the other. Yeah. That infuriates Like it's
3: some inner city thing. This is so wrong. Like, I get this wherever I travel on back roads. People are so concerned about it because they've lived through fire and floods. City people haven't, but city people see it on their TV screens. So we are no, going so through a massive change so in this no country. So there's no
2: doubt in, in rural Australia no, that no, no. climate change... They, they know
3: what's going on. Sure they so, so know what's going on.
2: Why doesn't somebody tell the politicians?
3: Well, politicians are always the last ones <laughs> to figure this stuff out. Always the last. Having, like, I think I could safely speak for both of us here. Like, you, 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 we see this. You know, it's been. This has been. This. This is the case for a long time, certainly the last 20 years. Always, the last people to figure out the public mood are the politicians. So why, Barry, is this the most interesting of all the election campaigns?
4: Um, well, it's. There's so much at stake. We say that at every election, but this time it's true. Hmm. Imagine if Labor loses this election. They, they would be morally bankrupt and, and demoralised. Those ministers who are holding the show together now and are all really good performers who, who during the, the Gillard period, have hung around all of this time, they've waited eight and a half years to have another go at it. If they don't get that chance, they go. And it'll be like a football club rebuilding from the start. They go to number 18 and work their way back up again.
1: So, it's Labor will be like North Melbourne.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Albo, David
4: Noble. Would yep. Yeah. 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 How long would it take them to rebuild? Yeah, North mm. Melbourne. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, there's a, there's, a, there's a battle going on for the heart and soul of the Liberal Party, right? Yeah. And if the Liberals, if the coalition wins, then it confirms in the minds of Scott Morrison and a whole bunch of other people that their direction they're satisfied then that the electorate is moving to the right with them. Mm. And,
2: and does that mean the rise and rise of Peter Dutton, people like Yeah, that of people?
4: course it does. And what it means is, is well, when I went to, to Canberra you know, 30 years ago and all of those kind of moderate Liberals, the small old Liberals who yeah. I really admired, will pretty much be junked. Um, well,
3: they're already gone. They're and all gone.
4: Be, because of the membership is not supporting them anyway. Yep. But if they were to win, that would confirm that. If they lose, then it gets interesting. Um, it's, they say that it'll be between Dutton and... Uh, and Frydenberg.
2: Might Frydenberg be if
4: he's around. And Maybe. I'm not you convinced about that it. because there would be a bigger message that they should be picking up, mm. and that is that they've, they've got to do a
3: bit of resetting themselves if, if they lose. I feel that what they're missing is... A, I might be wrong about this, but a general view across Australia is that they just they just want things to be, like, decent and... Normal again and just get some things done. Respectful. And and respectful and stop all this scrapping in Parliament and not doing anything. And where are the policies really? What do they act on? And what, you know, so many things they don't end up doing. So I, I would love that to be fixed.
2: So, are you, you, either of you or both of you going to have a, um, a presence on ABC on election night? Hope so.
3: No.
4: Okay. No. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Heather and Barry at home, don't party. <laughs> we'll be
3: screaming at the telly, Heather, if, as if we Sean, always if, do.
4: If Sean McAuliffe <laughs> comes in with an idea, I'll be in
3: it. <laughs> oh, God. I did an interview on um, ABC Radio um, in the bush earlier this morning, and I said, We scream at the TV so much, even the dog runs away. <laughs> Can I can
1: I change the subject completely for a moment with you, Heather? I need to know your favourite Victorian back road. Ooh. You've been to many. Caro,
3: that's mean. No. No, well, <laughs> oh, it's not. Have a
2: think about it for 10 seconds because, because Caro and I have, you know, during lockdown... Um, and, and, and as everybody here knows, all the potties know, we've done a lot of uh, referring to our favourite Victorian places because, let's face it, there wasn't yeah. a lot of opportunity. To, so so in the context of different places that we've... We've gone out on limbs and mentioned places. Yeah, yeah, known. OK.
3: I am going to mention... I, I really... Um, it was... This was a tough one for me because I was in the middle of some, some um, cancer treatment at the time... Um, and I loved Port Campbell you know they've had and they've just had a really oh, bad we've, we've time We've got down some there. good folk from Port Campbell here tonight. <laughs> Yay hello Port Campbell. <laughs> did you um, did you know they were here? No, Come on. no I so didn't. <laughs> no great people in a beautiful part of the world and you know they, they had a big tragedy down there and um, a couple of years ago and I won't go into the details, um, but it, it just a great mob and yeah. a beautiful part of the world, isn't that it? was a
2: beautiful episode.
3: Thank you. It
2: was really, and the Surf Life Saving Club, how they've
3: got yeah, 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 it. fantastic, Amazing. And, Amazing. and you know, and Val who lost her husband and yeah. her son, and yeah. and would still have a beer with me. Yeah. Most people do that.
2: <laughs> so,
3: so
1: um, you were there when you had the idea for the insiders and the offsiders. Did you play any role in the creation of Backroads?
4: No. <laughs> <laughs> None at all.
1: He's um, a bushy,
3: though. <laughs> <laughs> we um, up in Shilton.
4: Yeah. Uh, do
1: you
3: so, ever go along
1: on any of the
4: trips? No, look, I, I didn't... It was in Mackay or somewhere, wasn't it? it was, uh, I picked the wrong place, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, because they're working all the time, and they, they do. They work 10, 12 yep. hours a day, and so it's, it's not a great thing to Not tag along to um, But my favourite episode was right, I think it was very, very early on in Yakadanda. I love yeah. that I love that yeah.
3: <laughs> What a great name that <laughs> is. It
2: is. I, I love saw. that name. But all of those Mellie, you know, Warwick Nabeel and yeah, um, yeah, and they've all got great names. They're all trivial. Barry, yeah. on um, I just want to ask you about one plus one. Are you enjoying the longer interview format?
4: Yeah, I've sort of um, I've never done that kind of interviewing before. It's you do political interviewing and it's, it's just, um, it has to be not, not aggressive, but you, you have to challenge people all the time and, and it's all about just keeping one ear to that. And, and the wonderful thing about a one plus one is you pick the person to interview because there's something about them that you want to tell the country about. And so you're, you're allowed to be friendly and, and just allow them, just build an interview so that they can tell their story. And that's a much more satisfying. Did experience. I see? Did I, I see you with
1: Jimmy Barnes and the family the other night?
4: His yeah. wife Jane.
1: Yeah, yeah. how was yeah. that?
4: Jimmy was there for five minutes, and then we had to bump him. <laughs> it, it was about Jane, and Jane had a, had a fascinating story to tell. So but That comes up all the time. Like I did that interview in, in November, went to air in December and nobody saw it because it was Christmas time and now it comes on as a rerun and people are phoning up and saying, oh, you've got a new series on the ABC. And I said, yeah, that one. Because yeah. Yeah. the
3: ABC can't afford any more that They rerun <laughs> everything. There, there's a lot to be said for ABC, I view though. It, well, keeps, you, yeah. it keeps you
2: alive. Yeah. H-
1: having, having worked with, and I'm not just saying this, I've worked with many brilliant hosts, I've never worked with a host as good as Barry. You are Brilliant. <laughs> You know, you really are. And it amazed me the way you used to do the insiders, take the jacket off. You literally took the jacket off. For offsiders. Turned around and talked about sport without the jacket. I don't know why sport (laughs) meant, yeah, wore no jacket. But anyway, your, your knowledge and understanding of sporting issues is as brilliant as your understanding of politics. You wrote a terrific column in The Age after the release of the Do Better report last year when um, Eddie Maguire famously stood up and said it's a proud day and we've seen everything that's happened since. So much has unfolded. First of all, who's going to win on Saturday?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I think you've got the secret around that match. You've got the inside information and it uh, disappoints me to hear it. Um, Some Collingwood players are sick, apparently, so...
1: Barry, you go to every pretty much Collingwood game, This year I've been able to, yeah. Yep. Are you happy uh, with what you've seen at your football club because you are a Collingwood man? Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, hopefully they're rebuilding from the middle of the ladder rather yep. than having to go all the way to the bottom like North Melbourne. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> true. Um, So hopefully that's happening. And Have you so been offering
2: the... a bit of media advice or strat- strategic thinking to Collingwood?
4: Media advice to Collingwood?
2: Yeah, or any... any... <laughs>
4: I'd this like is to dangerous territory. Class over the do better report. <laughs> I just suspect that not a whole lot is going on there, despite what they're saying publicly. I don't think they're sincere about it. They've got a lot more work to do, and a lot of sporting clubs have.
1: They do, they do. But you still love the pies, don't you? Yeah. I mean, Yep. yeah,
4: yeah. yeah I, I grew up in a family of. Um, four brothers and a sister, and we barracked for six different teams. How on earth so, did that happen? So you've got to stand your ground, you know, <laughs> if you barracked for Collingwood in a, in a family like that. I don't know how it happened. It was just somebody decided, obviously, before I arrived, that it would be a good idea if everybody barracked for a different team, and that's... that's I
3: think your mother encouraged... And that's
4: the way it worked.
3: <laughs> just saying. Are you a footy fan, Heather? <laughs> of course. Who do you follow? I was, uh, I was brought up with Collingwood. I think if I brought a blocane cane that didn't bear it for Collingwood, I would have been in <laughs> deep strife.
1: Can I, can I ask how you two met? Is that too personal?
2: No, right. why would it be the, personal? The, I'm, the, I'm sure you've curry. told the story
4: many times. <laughs> the first day that we actually met, I was... Um, I thought Basil
3: was so boring. Uh, <laughs>
4: they didn't say, what was your first impression? <laughs> the question was... Continue, continue, Barry, continue. Heather had applied for cadetship at the ABC and I was running the audio room, which is a remarkable thing because I'm hopeless at any of that kind of thing. You were running the audio exactly. it was like taking tapes and voiceover voices and uh, things, recording them how and the then, ABC putting them on then. cassettes which I know nothing about but that's what I was doing at the time yep. and the cadets came in, there were three of them and Heather was one of them and that's when I first met her and she put a voice down and then I replayed it for her and she said I sound just like my sister and, <laughs> that. and that's put my first through.
3: memory <laughs> Anyway, he cut, he cut me out of the job he didn't even recommend me Oh, all. outrageous. <laughs> I was so going how, to say, it's probably not, you're not allowed to
2: have that sort of office relationship these days.
1: Well, it didn't well, tell like much didn't. of a relationship. No, we didn't then.
4: <laughs> he, he knocked yeah, it back for a job and she thought he was
1: boring.
3: <laughs> no, I thought, you bastard. <laughs> didn't recommend me for the job. He was done. But you got the job. Yeah, I did get the job.
2: Yeah, And, and Baz, you followed Heather to, when she got the job in Washington, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. We love that. Yeah. it's good. You're ahead of your time.
3: Bob Hawke yeah, didn't
2: and
4: I think so. so. There was also <laughs> another element to it. I was working for Bob Hawke at the time, and he'd, he'd won a leadership challenge against Keating. And I went to him after that and said, um, you know you won't win another one. The, it was 60-40, and that's not enough in politics. That's All they need is 40, and they build on it and eventually. And so I told him that, and he wasn't very impressed with my view on the, on the, on the topic. But I just... I'd had enough anyway, and it just was obvious to me that Keating was going to be leader of the Labor Party at some stage in prime He had to be. I mean, he was too big a figure not to be. Like Costello never was. It stuns me. But, um, he, but Keating had to be leader within the next year or two. So I thought, well, why am I going to sit around here all this time? Heather's in... Uh, and that, that was a great way for me to get away from working in politics. briefly
3: interrupt here. He actually said... <laughs> I made the decision to leave because I'd, I'd had a gut full of all this stuff, so I thought I'm taking also the, got an overseas I'm taking job. the Washington job. Yeah, I thought this is going to be good. <laughs> and and Bessa was actually told by Bob Hawke, he was a fabulous character. Um, you know, he said you'd actually leave this job, you'd quit this job to go and join a Sheila.
2: <laughs> wow,
3: that's how it was this back the man, then. This is
2: the man who put Susan Ryan in the gig as the first minister for women. Yeah, but it's yeah. a nice anecdote.
4: They were the though. 80s. Well, <laughs> early well, 90s. So yeah. you, you
1: say that Costello not becoming the leader stunned you. Of all the people you've worked with and covered, which politician do you feel mm. should have been the leader of the party or Prime Minister who never got there?
4: Probably Kim Beasley. Um... Look, he, he was a very fine individual. He, I'm not sure that he would have been a great Prime Minister, but he, he would have been a very good one. So I think he was probably denied. And I'm just surprised in terms of Costello, because he was such a big figure in the Liberal Party. There was only, you know, Howard and Costello for 10 or 12 years. Yep. And so you would have thought at some point Costello would have been leader, and he never was. So... It's not so much that I'm saying he should have been and he would have been a great Prime Minister or whatever, but I'm just surprised that he never made it, given that he was such a, a big figure Except in
3: the world. Except he quit the day after they lost the election. He, he yeah. quit. Yeah. So he, yeah. he put himself out of the arena.
1: Yeah. What about you, Heather? Anyone else who impressed you along the way?
3: Um, I, I felt... Um, I thought thought Kim was probably, it was probably a bit rough. He was a very decent man and I think probably would have been a good Prime Minister. Um, but look...
4: And Mark you know. Latham of course, he, he would have been <laughs> fantastic.
3: Don't go there.
4: <laughs> he was stiff, boy. One handshake and they just rejected him, you know.
3: But I always feel well. He wasn't a decent one. I always feel sorry for the decent ones because I think you know you you think they would have probably run run the country
2: Mm. properly. Andrew Andrew Peacock.
3: Yeah, Andrew Peacock was a lovely man, like a really decent man. Like you know you know the country would have, yeah, I I think got behind have run well you know with him, and he was also very uh, progressive Mm. about at at a time when other people weren't about women, immigration, you know, lots of lots of good things. but this is history, isn't it? Um, but I often look back. I, I'm really thankful um, that I worked in the press gallery at a time when there were decent people around, and it was a, a kind of, I think, more gentle place in a way. Like, it, it's a very robust arena. But I don't think we have that anymore, and I, I'm sad about that. But um, I'm thankful that I experienced it. Heather, Series 8, have we started yet or is it going? oh yeah no series eight uh to series nine carol sorry i'm sorry yes okay when, when no can we filming see it? series nine when yeah. can we see it When's it? Um, series eight july 11
2: great takes us through winter yay <laughs> when there's nothing on television <laughs> perfect
3: we've I've been, been in outback queensland you won't want to go there in the middle of winter i don't think but <laughs> no it's
1: some good look, place it's been so wonderful to have you both tonight. Thank you so much. Please go and get another drink on us. We will. Stick around. We're good at that. For Miles <laughs> and also um, my mother, Julia, and Anna from yeah. the Ob Shop, because they'll be joining us in a moment. Excellent. With some brilliant yeah. winter recommendations. H- Heather Hewitt and Barry Cassidy, it has just been an yeah. enormous yeah. honour to have Thank you. you.
3: Thank you. Thanks for
1: having us. Absolutely fascinating insight.
2: The pin-up man of Don't Shoot the Messenger is here, Miles Thompson from Prince Wide Store. Dare I say, this is my favourite segment of each week. Um, Miles, it is great to have you here at the wonderful Bells Hotel. Uh, you only had to walk about 120 metres, really, didn't you? Yeah, it
5: was fantastic. Five <laughs> minutes, I think.
2: So, what are. I'm not drinking the wine that you're going to be talking about, sadly, but what are we talking about today?
5: So, I thought for Mother's Day we might do some sparkling wine.
2: Oh, brilliant. Good idea.
1: Yeah?
5: Brilliant. Um, so, I'm going to talk about the. It's called Vas Felix Edie Fix. And so, ED Fix means like an obsession. And it's um, a sparkling wine that Vas Felix has been making for about sort of 25 years. Um, But they've sort of changed the recipe a little bit. And this comes off this vineyard that they own. It's a bit south of their main vineyard in Margaret River. And they sort of found this special patch of Chardonnay um, in this vineyard. And it just looked really different to uh, all the other sort of Chardonnay that they see around there. And they started making this really fantastic Blanc de Blanc so they noticed wine. that the
2: grape was a bit different.
5: They noticed that the the juice and the wine that they were getting from this particular part of this block in this vineyard was just really different to everything else that they that they got from the rest of the vineyard. And so they thought, oh, this is perfect to, to make um, sparkling wine. How
2: magical.
5: Yeah, wonderful, yeah. A
2: surprise. It's a great
5: story. So, um, so this is a special, so just all Blanc de Blanc, so all Chardonnay, and they do the Blanc de Blanc, and they also do a rosé as well, where they just throw a little bit of Pinot into it as well.
1: Miles, it's lovely for a lot of people here to see you tonight. I cannot tell you how many people, friends from outside of Victoria, New South Wales, Western Australia tell me they, all from the country Victoria, tell me they come to Melbourne and they go to Prince Wine Store because they listen to you on Don't Shoot the Messenger. It's true isn't it everyone? It's, it's- it's, I was I was there today myself. It's a it's a labyrinth. It's one of the more enjoyable labyrinths to visit in Bank Street, South Melbourne. Obviously, a brilliant online business as well. But mm. I really hope that um, you've felt the love from the Don't Shoot the Messenger yeah. podcast
5: listeners. In other I've, words, she's met heaps. In
2: other words, she's saying, can you tell, her, tell us how good we are?
5: <laughs> you guys are amazing. No. Uh, no, I have. I've met I've met plenty of potties. It's it's been really good. And we've had several that have won the the. Competition and done the wine courses and yeah, it's been fantastic. It's really nice.
1: And Corrie miles took us to Italy really didn't he in parts of Europe that no one else could go to when you were on a very important working trip. On my business trip.
5: (laughs) Earlier this year, which is very difficult.
1: Absolutely
2: fabulous. So Potties, if you haven't been to Prince wine store, uh, there's one in Sydney, but there's one just around the corner here in um, Bank Street. Bank Street. Street. And um, for me and I hope you don't mind the analogy here, but some of some of the gang will get this. It's like when I walk into Bunnings or Officeworks, right? <laughs> I just mecha to a slightly lesser extent, but I just kind of have to it's that consumer fueling, I've got to have it. And the store is beautiful to walk around and it's not like a vintage sellers or a Dan Murphy where you see a lot of the same old, same old, because you guys really do work on your stock collection. And the best thing, and I advise everybody, is to talk to the people behind the counter, wh- whoever, like Gab or, you know, whoever. we now have our personal shopper, Carol, don't we, and Gab, but just, just talk and, and, and learn, and it's such a fantastic experience if you like wine. And who doesn't like wine?
5: Absolutely. We come so down and ask for me, too. I'm, I'm always there Monday to Friday. Oh, but aren't, so
2: you, aren't you the serious big boss? No. Okay, well, yeah, I,
5: I all, act like I all am. We're all but asking for you. So, really. so, Miles,
1: if we want to pick up a, a bottle of the Vass Felix. Yep. Um, what's that going to set us back? And so, is there a discount for don't shoot listeners?
5: So forty four dollars a bottle, and then ten percent off for the podcast listeners, which is M E W S. But if you go into the store too and let them know at the front when you when you're shopping, um, and tell them that you're a podcast listener, we'll we'll take the ten percent off in the shop bucks. too.
2: Forty great.
5: Yeah fantastic it's it's such a wonderful wine can you
2: also just tell us too about Carol and i are very excited Mm. about the may pinot dozen the may special
5: oh the may pinot dozen yeah so i put that together great 12 awesome pinots from victoria got stuff from adelaide um wa france yeah it's fantastic it's one of our most popular packs it's brilliant and 265 speaking
1: of the may mixed dozen can I ask
5: Heather Ewart How many do we need for and you? Barry
1: Cassidy, are they still here? I hope they are. Yep. Can one of you or both of you come up because we have a presentation for you, please. Yeah, but Heather, but Barry. Yeah, whoever's
2: the strongest.
1: Um, okay. Okay. Barry, you've been a wonderful, wonderful guest tonight. It's a mixed dozen, curated by Miles, from us to you. <laughs> Miles, your mixed dozens have been fantastic. We love yeah. working with you and we're very happy that you're going to be with us for a little bit longer. Absolutely. And um, we all look forward to trying a drop of the Vest Felix on Mother's Day.
6: So good.
2: Yeah, so don't forget, get your drop from Miles and the Prince Wine Store team or jump online as I frequently do and um, order up. Uh, M E W S is the code. Wonderful.
6: Miles
1: Thompson, everyone.
6: Thank you.
2: Thank you, Miles.
6: Thank you. Good good
1: Last time we were here, ladies, Anna, you'll probably remember, Mum has, I reminded Mum, we were here with Peggy O'Neill at the end of 2019. Yes, that was fantastic. Oh, it's already the...
2: started Tiger Talk, okay. No, 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 um, no more
1: Tiger Talk, just now, mentioning um,
2: that. I just, um, I forgot to mention this earlier, Caro, I just wanted to thank one of our potties out there, Jilly, Jilly Swinnerton who heard the episode when my husband, Pete, ate the chocolate egg. So, Jilly has very kindly given me my... And this was the exact one, Jilly, the same size. And I was left with half, half the platform, and he cracked it and ate it while I was in the bathroom. And no so, he is. They, so, thank you very much, Jilly. That's very kind. Now... Um, we are going on to BSF immediately. Um, Caro declared the other day, this is her favourite section of the podcast. And I must say, every time you and I are out and about, people often say, including some AFL coaches when we've been on a walk, have asked us about a particular Netflix that we mentioned, <laughs> um, uh, Books, book, screen and food. And we're going to kick this off with... Uh, uh, a discussion which is—it's all about winter and it's all about feeling cosy. And what better uh, genre of books to explore than cosy crime? And cosy crime—if you're not really sure of it—it it does actually have its own Wikipedia definition. It's a, a subgenre of the crime fiction category in which the detective is usually an amateur sleuth, often a woman. The crime takes place in some small, intimate community, usually a small English village. Um, The sleuth comes into contact with other uh, residents and they're thrown in there to put you off the smell of who's the real murderer, but it's usually an innkeeper or a librarian or a town gossip or a teacher or a reporter or indeed a radio announcer. And the amateur detective usually has sidled up to somebody within the police force who is completely incompetent and relies on the amateur sleuth to solve the mystery so he or she can achieve all their KPIs within the police force. Now, there are lots of television shows of this genre. Of course, Midsummer Murders comes to mind. Oh, Corrie. Um, We're a bit more highbrow than so, that, so surely. So does Fa- Father Brown, classic... Um, point. um Pie in the Sky, which I loved. There's lots of them. But in literature as well, there are a number of cosy crime specialists, and including a growing number of them, like Kerry Greenwood here in Australia with her Phryne Fisher. So over to the experts. Um, in particular, um, it's Julia's... Um, although I don't think you like the term cosy, Jewel. Is that right? You're not so mad on the word cosy.
1: Cosy crime is not what you're talking about tonight, Mum, as you nominate your two favourite crime novelists.
6: I will, and they are... I don't read modern novels. They're <laughs> nearly always disappointing, except <laughs> Corrie's selection. But I've chosen the two of the queens. There were three queens. Someone, Some people add a fourth, but I never do. The Three are of course Agatha Christie and then Dorothy Sayers and Marjorie Ellingham. They might be considered quite of the same genre. They're both very Anglo in background. They both have as their protagonists members of the aristocracy who all employ a man. A manservant (laughs) who is part of the action in every book. Dorothy Sayers is she was a very early student, woman student at Oxford. She got a very good degree. She had a very odd private life. She had a child that she fostered out to one of her family who became an author himself and didn't seem to bear any ill will towards her. He called her cousin Dorothy. she wrote a number of books. What's you your want? favorite? Just tell us your favorite. No, I'll read the best. Okay. <laughs> Strong Poison, Have His Carcass, Unnatural Death, Murder Must Advertise, and yes, that'll do. But <laughs> she did, she did in the middle of all this, they were all very popular books and made a great deal of money for her. She was always short initially. But she wrote a famous book called The Nine Tailors, which is a simply wonderful book about a flood in an English village after Christmas in the Fen country. Oh, you so, lent me that one, one, it's brilliant. Yes, it's a really mm. a gothic novel and it comes in the long line of early, early mystery stories, well, thrillers, coming from Wilkie Collins, who I hope you all know, (laughs) who wrote the two first thrillers, I suppose, The Woman in White and The Moonstone. She followed along after him.
1: And this is her, and she's beautiful. Mum, who is the fourth one that you don't count that other people count? Nio
6: Marsh. Oh, okay, yep, fair enough. She was a New Zealander and wrote a lot of thrillers about the theatre and New Zealand, but her command of language is nothing like... um, (laughs) (laughs) nothing like Dorothy Sayers. But anyone who hasn't got The Nine Tailors, it is the most engrossing book. Half of it, 63 pages, are devoted to bell ringing. Because the hero, Lord Peter Whimsey, ends up in this English village he does. on Christmas Eve in a snowstorm and the rector takes him in and a lot of them are down with flu. And he's called on to help ring the bells, to ring the new year, to ring Christmas in. And it's simply he, a Julie, wonderful book.
2: Is his love interest Harriet Vane in yes. that one? Yes. Mum, mum, and just
1: can you tell us a little bit about Marjorie Allingham or give us some of your recommendations? Yes,
6: Marjorie she's Allingham. she's
1: my favourite. She's mine too. Is she? Oh, that's
6: Remember good. the case of the late pig? Yes. I um, know we'll oh, that's it. not on your list. We'll have no. all of this in the show the notes, everybody. everybody. Yeah. Well, Marjorie Allingham was also a most interesting woman. She married a bloke who was... A bit up and down, he belonged to <laughs> an outfit called "The Thursday Club," which mm. Prince Philip belonged to, too. and they used to meet and have lots to drink and perhaps meet young girls, who knows? <laughs> but she wrote wonderful books, and she wrote, apart from her thrillers, she wrote a book that Caro's brother and I love. It's called The Oaken Heart and it was written to one of the books to help bring America into the war. She lived in an Essex village and she describes 1939, 1940 and 41 as it affected to her village. And she writes with enormous, enormous empathy about England and you can see it did have a great impression when it was, went to America. But she's more frivolous, more whimsical. Her detective, Albert Campion, has a manservant called Magus Fontaine Lug. And he also is aristocratic, but he's left his family. They disapprove of his career. And so he changes his name. But sly references are made to his background, aren't they, Anna? (laughs) Well, their best ones are Police at the Funeral, More Work for the Undertaker, The Fashion in Shrouds, The Beckoning Lady. The Beckoning Lady is wonderful. It's set in this village and this house. The house is called The Beckoning Lady and it's an absolute manual on how to have a big party and get all the guests to do the work. (laughs) It is wonderful. (laughs) Um, And then- I would would like to
2: do in charades, um, The Undertaker. What was The Undertaker one?
1: More work for The Undertaker. More work for The
2: Undertaker.
1: Can can we let Anna come in for a moment here? Is that all right?
0: Jules, so I don't want to steal your thunder. No, darling, I'm over. (laughs) No, I don't think, I think you are our cosy murder mystery expert, but I was just going to say murder's murder, and I do admire the way that Agatha Christie goes about it. And I was trying to find the book, but of course couldn't find it in my bookshelves. One of my faves is Evil Under the Sun. Sun. Yes. Mm. Under a seemingly peaceful exterior of the Devon coast in summer lies intrigue. Guilt, deception, and death—one of her best, I reckon. And Agatha's life, as we all know, fascinating on the page and off. And there's a new biography—I don't know if you know it—Nina de Gramont, that I'm dying to read about. And,
2: and they, every biographer has tried to unpack that missing. I know few weeks. When Where did she, she go? She left her husband allegedly because. The story is that he, she found out he was having an affair? Is That's that... it. Yep. And then
0: she booked into a hotel under the girlfriend, the mistress's name, and no one found her. So, and she left her car by the lake and they thought she'd committed suicide. In Harrogate? Mm. That's right, yes. And you can actually do an Agatha Christie tour in, in England. Harrogate. She was born in Torquay. You can go there. Like, you can just go around the counties checking out her, Agatha. But, More contemporary, I'm loving. You know Richard Osman, Mm. with his Thursday Murder Club series. Maybe it's a reference to Prince Philip. Who knows? He's written two books so far. I think he's quite funny, and he's a great observer. I think of the British middle class. But his books feature, feature four seniors who live in a fairly progressive nursing home, not like here, in Kent. And they solve crimes. And who knew there's a hell of a lot of murders in Kent, apparently. (laughs) And this crew, with the help of their families, just keep cracking cases.
2: And his third book is coming out in um, September, actually. Oh, is
0: it? Yep.
2: But the
0: books are funny, they're well written, and you won't need to sleep with the light on at night. And they're actually good Mother's Day presents, if you're scratching around for...
1: Yeah, I concur with that, Anna. I love Richard Osman. Love. And he, he's a TV show host. Yeah, he's, he's a celebrity, I, I think. British who've turned to crime writing. I just want to add Josephine Tay. She's oh. my yeah. absolute yeah. favourite. What was
2: the wonderful book you tipped well, me into? Shakespeare, The Bones... The, the, well, The Daughter the of, Time, the Daughter of is Time is the that's famous that. one. Yeah. Love and, that. Um,
1: and that. that Anna and my great old school friend, Penny oh. Eichinger, used to rave about. And A Shilling for Candles is another one. And, and Brat The Farrah. Franchise Affair. Yeah, yes, the, and, a, and The Franchise Affair. So um, you, will all fr-
2: you will all frown at me, but I'm going to throw in there Anne Glencoran, Lady Anne Connor who you would know. Um, she was Princess <laughs> Margaret's bridesmaid, uh, best friend, and the Queen's bridesmaid. Oh God. no, coronation. Oh, very um, trashy, maid.
1: Corrie. Um, very trashy.
2: And she and she she married the very wealthy um, Colin Tennant, uh, who bought Mustique and developed it in the 60s and 70s as a resort. And funnily enough, Anne's heroine, her sleuth, is. Uh, a wealthy woman who is connected to royalty, whose husband owns a resort Mm. island, and lo and behold, Anne, goes by another name, solves all the crimes. Uh, And for, again, like Midsummer Murders, how many crimes can there be on one island? Mm. Highly recommend her.
1: Now, now, Corrie, winter's coming, and as Corrie said, all these recommendations will be on our show notes. But we thought we'd just chuck in a couple of recommendations at the movies, on Stan, Netflix, Paramount Plus, you know, there's so many now. We're all reviewing how many we're paying for. I think my husband's in the audience tonight. He certainly is. But um, hang on to Paramount Plus because there is a brilliant series. Um, It's called The Offer, and it's about the making of The Godfather. It yeah. is absolutely riveting. Chris is watching. Oh, I watched this one
0: me.
1: very late last night after coming home from Footy Classified. For the, in the interest of the podcast, I wanted to tell you all about it. Um, Rupert Good as Robert Evans is absolutely brilliant. It tells the story of Mario Puzo, Ali McGraw's in there, Frank Sinatra's in there. It's, you know, America, New York and LA in the 70s, late 60s, absolutely brilliant. The offer on Paramount Plus. So,
2: so one one um, American uh, looking back at recent history that I'm not so convinced. Although the performance of Julia Roberts is amazing is Gaslight. So... Gaslit. Gaslit. Sorry, Gaslit. I'm dying to say that. So the second episode dropped last night. Gaslit is on stand. I highly recommend it because of the period of history that it covers, and it takes those of us in Australia who perhaps weren't so aware of all the nuances of the break-in, Gordon Liddy's role. Um, It's the story of Martha Mitchell, who effectively became the whistleblower, the first of the whistleblowers, because her husband John Mitchell at the time was the Attorney General to Richard Nixon and he was up to the Watergate break-in, up to the gazoo. And Martha blows the whistle on him and has a terrible demise. The last couple of years before she died in the mid 70s were, ter- were awful and terrible, including being kidnapped by um, the FBI and, um, and really made, painted as, a, as, a, as an alcoholic um, emotionally damaged woman which of course she actually was not although she loves a bit of a drink in this I must say but Caro there's something about this show, Anna have you seen it? No yet? I
0: haven't seen it. I don't know Brian whether Trey. anybody
2: else has but there's a bit of mixing the real with, with humour and the humour particularly in episode two I just didn't feel uh, I didn't feel it kind of um, does the story justice they're making Gordon Liddy look like a real clown well in fact he was a completely deranged individual who was given this mission ill-advisedly by John Dean and John Mitchell. Um, I, I, don't, I don't get the humor, but, but when we're back in the scene and back in the tension with Martha and John Mitchell in the bedroom or the living room, it's brilliant. So there's a bit of an inconsistency yeah. in this. Did I've, you only notice se- that?
1: I've only watched episode one with Brendan and my friend Mary, who's here tonight, and we all loved it. So I, I can't speak for episode two. Yeah. Anna, have you got
0: something you want to throw in? Um, look, my TV tip is something called A Very British Scandal. Excellent, beautifully filmed, exquisitely acted, three-part mini-series about one of history's most sordid and notorious divorces. Argyle versus Argyle. A thumbnail sketch, very thumbnail, Paul Bellamy, fabulous actor, plays Ian, the Duke of Argyle, addicted to prescription drugs, gambling and the demon drink, (laughs) emotionally and physically abusive and psychologically scarred after time spent in the Nazi prisoner of war camp. So he's the protagonist. (laughs) Then we've got Claire Foy, who plays Margaret, one of Britain's most glamorous and well-connected socialites, pathologically unfaithful and always wore a strand of pearls. It's a compellingly awful story of a 1950s marriage gone sour. She likes his status and title. He liked her money, courtesy of Daddy, a Scottish millionaire. (laughs) The inevitable divorce happens, and... Yeah, no, the inevitable divorce focuses on an alleged list of 88 men that Margaret allegedly slept with, so she was busy <laughs> during the marriage. And a true story and explicit Polaroids of her nude, except for her trusty signature pearls, um, <laughs> performing sexual acts. This series has it all. Aristocracy-shaking behaviour, titles, adultery, forgery, a fabulous list of rich friends, affairs, castles, which Jules going to talk about, Drink. S- sexual double standards between men and women, tabloid frenzies, incredible fashion, promiscuity, scandal, and inevitably, downfall. Um, yes, it is top British toffs behaving badly, very badly, but it's also a story of two lonely people, each with a shade of awfulness. But it's really worth seeing. Where do we see this? I think on Amazon Prime. See this is, we never remember. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's only three episodes. It is so Amazon ripping. Prime. Yeah. Are you Prime. looking forward to
6: that, Mum? I am. Yeah. I am That's oh, really good. It's very me. Yeah.
5: <laughs> so
2: Jewel and Anna, isn't one of the um, one of the gentlemen uh, allegedly wasn't Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, supposed to be one of those men? No There was it a long be. list. Hmm. There was there was there was mention that it might have been him.
6: No, they pretty much know who it was, but I can't say why. It's too (laughs) vulgar.
0: I'm not going anywhere near that. You just have to watch the show (laughs) yourself.
1: I think we should move on to food.
0: (laughs) Now, um, I'm going to
1: kick off. We're going to all do a Yeah, so the
2: idea is, of course, being winter, stews, Mm. casseroles. I love the word casserole. It's been out of vogue for about 25 years, back in vogue. And curries. So, Caro, what's your big meal in a... Well, my
1: my favourite winter dish is a winter roast and my favourite I never quite get it right is Mum's tomato and onion pie and Mum always rolls her eyes but I'm going to call my daughter Clementine Donahue up because she actually managed to get this recipe into a cookbook didn't she Mum? I don't know how Yeah, she did. (laughs) Clem can you just give us a rendition of Jules' tomato and onion pie, which Hello. is perfect with any roast. Hello everyone. Yes. My daughter Clem. Hands up if you're having fun. Ha- hands up Clem. if you're under 30. Oh, sorry. Anyway, okay. Let's, let's kick off, ladies. Jules' tomato and onion pie. Well, I think Jules could probably do it better, but it's pretty simple. It's just like sliced tomatoes, sliced brown onion in a casserole dish, bit of salt, bit of pepper, about 40 to 50 minutes with a bit of a breadcrumb and parsley situation on the top mm. and don't ask Gran when it's ready she just says whenever it's ready is when I want to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you have a mixture of real tomatoes and tin tomatoes? No Gran I think just sticks to real normally. Oh, well
6: only if you're short of real tomatoes. Maybe for okay. winter you're not I mean, really finding winter. many
1: good ones at Woolies. So. Is there <laughs> butter in there too? Yeah I mean. <laughs> Little blobs of butter on the top to finish off. Um, but yeah, it's a very- It sounds
2: um, impossibly hard, Clem. It's
1: impossibly hard, <laughs> but it's always the first thing to go at Christmas. So, yeah. it is, it's absolutely brilliant. Clementine, Donna, whoever you want. Oh, is that it? Okay, I oh, thought I was here to talk about Save the state budget plan. on Tuesday.
0: That was a crazy, <laughs> anyway, I better go.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks, darling. Well done. Beautiful. Mum, have you got something? Oh,
6: yes, you said vintage. Want, we, we want vintage. It is vintage. It's 1974 from a cookbook donated by my stingy stepmother. <laughs> it was called, um, it comes from the Australian Staff College at Queenscliff. <laughs> and what's, it's called. What's that? <laughs> the Distaff Collation. Not a very what? old sort of title. Just a stew, and I can't do modern measurements. Two pounds of skirt or chuck half, one to two large onions sliced, a cube of beef stock, a tablespoon of Worcester sauce, three tablespoons of tomato puree, three to six strips of bacon, half to one cup of red wine, one large pinch of thyme, clove of garlic chopped, and then a tablespoon of sugar and a tablespoon of no a teaspoon of sugar. A tablespoon of flour, and you brown them. Shake the meat up in that. And obviously, if you've got more meat, you'll need more of the sugar and flour. Two tablespoons of malt vinegar very 1970s. Mm-hmm. I love I love vinegar. vinegar. And mushrooms. You, you cut anymore. the steak into steak two and a half I'm inch cubes, vinegar. dredge with the mixture of flour sugar, mix all other ingredients except bacon and onion together. You line the casserole the night before with slices of onion and pat down the meat all around the casserole dish. Oh. You pour the stock mixture <laughs> over and you stand uncovered all <laughs> in the fridge. It sounds disgusting.
0: <laughs> oh, it was what? lovely. Why is it called steak Normandy? What's the Normandy? Well, it's what they have in Normandy. <laughs> yeah, you love? line the whole dish with the
6: steak. Yeah. yeah. With the skirt around the edge or and the onions. Yeah. So that's all done the night before. That's oh. good, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. is it? <laughs> And <laughs> keep it... Uncovered for eight hours, or in the fridge, covered with bacon and closed lid, moderate oven for two and a half hours. So
0: what two do you- and a half hours. <laughs> Have you ever had a carrot? I you? Yes, so. Have.
6: When do you put it, it in the middle? What do you put in the middle? Well, oh. all the um, cube of beef stock, red wine, garlic. Oh. Um, oh, okay. So it all mixes in. Yeah, you didn't even listen. It doesn't I, come. I, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> It doesn't come out like a mold carrot. It all no, no, just the steak all falls into the middle. But it's nice to have it all lining the outside the day before. <laughs> It's good to do Winter. Good for water. Water. I it. Winter, good to do Not a success, okay. Well, now, Anna, don't,
1: no, no Mum, I, st- I think it sounds fabulous, but i uh, yes. can't remember ever eating it, but i would take your word well, for we, it.
6: I did two beef stews. This was one. Okay. All right. <laughs> I didn't say, Carol, tonight <laughs> we're having beef naughty. <laughs> Get along.
0: I'm all... <laughs> Anna. Anna, I'll remember your beef olive, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, sounds um, a bit beef So, Anna, yeah.
2: thank um, you, Jewel. Oh, Anna, you have Anna. my favourite cookbook. I'm going cookbook. modern. You have my
0: favourite oh. cookbook. Mm. Sea and Shore. So, it's this is
2: Emily, who is my new best friend, who's in Cornwall, cool. and now she's your new best friend.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, I've, I love the cookbook. It's, yeah, it's just fabulous. Uh, my recipes are from Sea and Shore mainly from Cornwall, and it's a very, very easy, slow-roasted lamb shoulder with smoked paprika, garlic and thyme, which I cook for Karen and Rosie on Saturday night. Um, It's a really easy recipe, and you marinate the lamb the night before, so the next day you've just got to do the cooking. And unlike Stephanie's seven-hour cook, which I find just way too long, this is only four hours, so if you're a little under the pump, it's doable, you know. <laughs> you serve with spuds, broccoli, and green salad. Or e- everything will be in the show notes. But it's it's very easy. And I would like to follow up with her flourless chocolate cake, which I know we've all got the recipe. But it's just really good, and mm, it's a small. I've had tort. that recently. You made my and own. what, it's and what about her
2: crab linguine? Have you tried that yet?
0: No, God, I've only done these. Tanya did the cordial. She said it was beautiful. She does say though, do the. Chocolate cake with the creme on glaze, but that was a bridge too far. I just read the recipe, thought no. Nah. <laughs> so I just did ice cream or cream, but it's a really good cookbook.
2: Okay, so I don't have a recipe but I have a book recommendation for you. If you want to get through winter with variety every night um, and maximum effect with minimum effort, it's One Pan Perfect by Donna Hay. Mm-hmm. 120 recipes. This book came out just before Christmas. And it is essentially the one pot, or the one tray, or the one pan. And there are lots of casserole, um, stir fry, uh, and you know slow, slow cooking sorts of things in there. It's an absolute winner. I can't tell you how many things I've cooked out of it. So it's called One Pan Perfect. And I think, I don't know, it's about $45 or something like that. So that is BSF ladies um, and gentlemen brought to us each week from our friends at Red Energy, powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? And now, Caro, we are going to another favorite segment, Dear Caro and Corrie. We um, have
1: a very quick dilemma, but it's a really good one. Corrie, so kick us ja- off.
2: Ja- we'll just pretend Jane's playing her harp, and we'll go into this mode. Dear Caro and Corrie, Recently, we were invited to a friend's place for dinner. I asked our friend what could we bring, and when she said, ''Oh, maybe that amazing vegetable curry you make, that'd be (laughs) such a help.'' (laughs) I was a bit taken aback, thinking she might say a bottle of wine or a salad. (laughs) ''Although I made the curry and took it along,'' says our listener, Jane, ''I felt a bit put... I felt a bit put upon.'' Perhaps I should have just enjoyed the invitation. Am I being a grumpy old woman? I love the podcast, thank you. Love from Jane. Thank you, Jane. So, we're,
1: No, we? no, Jane, you're not being a grumpy old woman. That is an absolute disgrace. If somebody asks you for dinner, <laughs> the least they can do is cook the dinner. I mean, a salad, okay. Bringing kids, it's a big get together. Maybe bring dessert, if you offer to bring dessert. But, to ask them to make the main course. Well
2: <laughs> seriously.: Well, making the main course uh, it, it is, is a bit difficult. I, I'm a bit more generous than you with that. But a curry. Oh, for do you been, say, Curry: A got... curry takes like at least five hours to get. It's the not
1: taste being right. generous at all. It's being stingy by the host of the dinner party. I think
2: we should be, I think we should be grateful to be invited
0: anywhere.: oh. <laughs> Anna, um, Anna thoughts? Oh, no, wrong. I mean, yes, offer to bring a bar snack offer to bring a pudding as my two gorgeous guests did or I asked them on Saturday night but the least you can do is get some meat and greens Mm. on the plate Saturday night dinner no I just think Jane maintain your rage. (laughs) Mum you always get (laughs) horrified when we
1: go out we always take stuff you sort of roll your eyes and say that's not really the way it should be done
6: well, your brother is very against it. He's known never to take anything for anyone. Yeah, that's So true. perhaps he got that from me. I don't
1: know. <laughs> no, I think, um, Jane, your dilemma is um, a good one. It, it, does,
2: it does extend the brief of ladies bring a plate, doesn't it? Ladies bring the well,
1: entire dinner. Oh. No, I, I just think sometimes when you're, you know, faffing around making a salad or doing the bar snack or... In this, in the case of Jane, making the entire main course, <laughs> you sort of think it might have been easier to stay at home and watch Netflix. Quite frankly. <laughs> anyway,
0: okay. Moving right along.
2: Questions, Can
0: Carol. I share yours. Yeah.
1: Oh. oh, am I kicking it off? Yes, yes. I am. Oh. Anna,
0: musicals, love them or avoid them? Absolutely love them. Who doesn't love the business of show? I've been to Moulin Rouge. Kara <laughs> and I went to Girl from the North Country the on other Tuesday night. And I... we saw someone here who was in the audience. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Hello, uh, yep, hello. Did great you love shot. it? I know, yeah. it was fabulous, a bit depressing. Very bleak. Very bleak. Very bleak. Music no, was great. I love musicals. In fact, I'm almost considering Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 in August. <laughs> Anna, what about an American oh. in Paris?
1: We went and saw that too a few months oh, yes. ago.
0: Yeah. I, think they, I suppose that was a musical. I mean, they did sing. Yeah, but it was a no, music- but I
1: mean a real... You know. da, yeah, well, I wouldn't say that's a musical, oh, yes. Sorry. So we, we all love musicals. Love musical. 40 seconds. Um, 40 Second Street, we saw in London.
2: Really. Caro, Bas new movie, Elvis, opens next month. What's your favourite Bas Luhrmann movie?
1: Oh, look, I'm a big Bas Luman fan. I know he goes on a bit and he's a bit of a show-off, but... Um, I thought that Moulin Rouge was his absolute triumph. I thought it was, I know you don't like Nicole Kidman. No, or...
2: no you remember we went, we took Will, who's yep. here, and Rose.
1: Yep, it was, we saw it in Sydney, and hello Will, my beautiful godson. That movie made us laugh, it made us cry. With apologies to Strictly Ballroom, which was also a brilliant film. I'm so looking forward to Elvis and I hope he nails it, I really do. Now You can
2: have Australia, I wasn't so mad on Australia.
1: Corrie, what news from... Yeah, that wasn't his best. What news from the US this week may, has made your blood boil?
2: That abortion, Caro, may be outlawed in 13 or more Republican states in America in just a few weeks. Um, I don't know with everybody's caught up with the news, but this incredible story of this leaked document, which actually, for journalists and journalism, is so interesting. It will probably... His, historians in a few years will probably say this leaked document from the Supreme Court is right up there with the Pentagon Papers, or maybe even Watergate, in terms of its explosive factor. The conservative judges on the Supreme Court have, um, have fought, are fighting against Roe v. Wade, which of course was the milestone case in 1973, which legalized abortion. So this decision is going to affect millions, millions of American women and their lives, and their partners' lives, and in particular in those states which are held by Republican governors which are likely like that to change the legislation if you want to have an abortion um, you'll you'll be sent to prison so so if we put the abortion argument over here for a moment and just look at human rights and democracies at work and interestingly the Supreme Court being loaded with political um, impetus it's an incredibly profound moment make sure you'll watch it and and observe it and be part of it in the next few weeks because it's going to be an incredible news story Um, I agree
0: on to Anna what's your GLT Anna? I feel a bit superficial Corrie after
2: (laughs) oh no I I have to have a your um, soapbox
0: my GLT is it's time to revamp your jewellery boxes, ladies. (laughs) I went to Chanel the other night at the NGV with my daughter and Janet, also in the audience, and the highlight of the show were her jewels. They had a room of their own and featured a lot of fabulous costume jewellery. And it just got me thinking, two and a half years of lockdown and I've worn nothing other than elasticised pants. (laughs) Time to delve into your jewellery box and update items lying dormant for years. And with a huge shout out to Buttons and Beads and High Street Paran, not a plug but just need to say, they've breathed new life into some of some old tired gems who stood the test of time but just needed a bit of a makeover. This Victoria Spring pendant was formerly a head, um, something I wore on, on my wedding. In my hair. I remember that. Yeah. I
1: remember no, it. So I took yeah. it
0: along and said, I'm a little old for hair furniture. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it, was, it was on a sort of stick, and you just stuck it in the back of your hair. It had matching earrings, which of course I've lost. Anyway, how good, 30 years later now it's a pendant. I've had the godmother's rather daggy lady dye good pearl necklaces restrung to a good wearable length, you know, not getting on your bra. I've fixed up broken clasps, I've put extenders on vintage necklaces, I've restrung dinosaur chokers. So all I'm saying is rack of your jewellery boxes and see what appears. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Get out the bling, everybody. Wow.
0: Bling on. I'm impressed, I know. Now,
1: I, I have a feeling I'm gonna know the answer to this and I completely agree with it. Mum, mm. what are you grumpy about?
6: I'm <laughs> grumpy about the present situation of members attending their club, notably the MCC. Mm. Now granddaughter Clem, when it opens at a quarter of a minute past nine, she's got seven names ready. And online she goes bang, 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 bang. I go with seven or eight people sometimes. Two of us can't do that at all. we can't hardly ring up on the phone (laughs) four of them might come, mightn't come they're not sure till the afternoon the weather the weather, boyfriends (laughs) big night, night before (laughs) all we want to do, we don't want to sit in the best seats in the house in all weathers we sit outside between 43 and 44. Basically in front of the blazer bar. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. where we drifted into 42 <laughs> <Not> <laughs> but often. we like 43 and 44. But that's proved impossible to mm. just turn up. Mm. Is that a club where you can't walk we'll into see. it I ask?
1: Mm. No mum I, I think you make a very good point and the, con- the campaign continues. <clears throat> yes yes. I'm so with you.
2: Caro, what is this week's amazing fact?
1: Well, it's, it's not one of the amazing Dutch facts like I came up with or one of the ones we come up with on our normal weekly podcast, Corrie. I just want to say we all sat here back at the end of 2019. It was November, December. It was a beautiful evening. We had no idea what we were facing in 2020 or 2021. And the amazing fact for me is that we're sitting here again in early May in 2022, and some of you were here, a lot of you were here back at the end of 2019, and we're all still here, we're all still fighting, we're all still smiling. We've made it through, who knows what lies ahead, but that is just so amazing to me, what we've been through, what we've come through, and that we're here tonight. All of you are completely amazing, so thank you so much for coming.
2: Everybody. Um, as Caro said, this has been um, pretty remarkable to get you all together. I know COVID is still playing havoc with all of our social plans. And for everybody who is coming through it, or friends at home, and indeed a number of people couldn't make it tonight, we were getting checks at the last minute because they're either isolating or they've come down with COVID. We wish everybody good health for the next few months at least. This is a remarkable turnout. We have a remarkable audience. Caro and I love you all to bits, and we really mean it when we say this is all about inclusivity rather than being excluding or exclusive of people. The more potties that we have all around Australia, indeed the world, the more fun we all have. So don't forget to tell your friends, don't forget to write to us. If you love something that's happened or we've talked about or you actually disagree, we we love hearing it all. We particularly love the dear Caro and (laughs) Corrie's. If your dear friend asks you to make a vegetable Curry next week. Please let us know. Um, but Caro, um, I'll, I'll kick it off, and we'll do it. We'll do a bit of a tag team here. First of all, I wanted to thank the wonderful team at Bell's Hotel, um, the guys in the kitchen behind the bar. Thank you all very much, um, and of course our event, as as Jane said, our event and our podcast sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. Thank you to everybody, and again, thank you to Tara. Thank you to the
1: beautiful Miss Jane. Thank you, Heather and Barry. You were absolutely brilliant. Anna and Mum, Julia Wilson. Miles from Prince Wine Store. Fabulous to have you here, our pin-up boy. Even though Barry Cassidy is still everybody's thinking woman's crumpet. Sorry, Heather. How
2: but he on. is... We'd like to thank also Breast Cancer, Well, we'll acknowledge Breast Cancer Network of Very Australia.
1: Good. And Kirsten, um, great to have you here, Kirsten Palaji. Yeah,
2: great to have Kirsten. And, um, and everybody, you know, you'll be asked, because Mother's Day is such a lightning rod for these sorts of um, organisations, you know, just do remember the mothers who are no longer here with us because of this curse of a disease, and those of us, or those people who are... Um, you know fighting the good fight so uh, give as much as you can and we um, you know have them all in our hearts there and um, Jane, uh, Carol, we should really thank properly um, Miss Jane, Jane Neild, without her we wouldn't be here
1: and Corrie what do we say? Don't Don't shoot shoot the the messenger! messenger. (laughs) Thanks everyone.
0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world?